Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. There is something so powerful about Patrick reading in their amazing shoes saying, also, I am not ashamed of the gospel that communicates good news to me. My name is Erin James Brown. I am the Director of Discipleship for Urban Village Church. Uh, Brittany Isaac, who is the preaching, teaching pastor here regularly, is on renewal leave, feeling her spirit revived, and so we pray for her, hoping she comes back feeling uh, joyous to share with us what she has learned. But um, the nice thing about Urban Village Church is that we are four sites throughout the city of Chicago and we share financial resources, but we also share preaching resources. And so I am here today to share um, a news from the gospel. So let's pray. God of love and God who loves justice. We are here this morning because you, God, have drawn us in, because the ache in our heart and in our spirit needed to be filled, because our lives need to be recentered. We need to be reminded that we are loved and beloved by you. And so we present ourselves before you. It is the name, in the name of our brother and friend Jesus that we pray. Amen. I do not know about you, but often when I read the Gospel of John, I feel a little out of sorts. Uh, He uses images of light and darkness and water and vines and bread, and then I start to feel like I took an Ambien and fell asleep while reading a Dr. Seuss book. The Gospel according to John is kind of a hot mess. And the Gospel according to John, written by someone unknown, Uh, probably not named John, is also full of rhymes and long winding references that keep coming back to each other. It's filled with words with dual meanings. And the author probably composed this masterpiece of an M.C. Escher version of the gospel some decades after Jesus, probably a century later, after Jesus' death, not because he cared about historical fact or making a right record of things, but because he wanted to be about correcting this new community of believers, about orienting their theological principles and practices. So in the end, the Gospel of John sometimes reads like a story out of Kanye West's daily life. Um, I have a I don't know, I'm a huge fan of Kanye West, but sometimes he is long-winded and a little rambling, and then every once in a while, just a nugget of genius. And this is the Gospel of John to me. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. That's one of the nuggets I can pluck out of what seems like a hot mess of a Gospel. So the Gospel writer refers to light and darkness throughout the signs and glories of his 21 chapters, and these 
shadows and shadings are not references to goodness and badness. They're not references to acceptability and unacceptability. And they're not references to like human understanding of skin color even. They are uh, references to the image of the presence of God in our lives. And light is always threatened by shadow. And the shadow is not like a negative entity. Shadow is simply a reality of existence. Knowledge of God's presence is not threatened then by doubt or shadow, but it is made brighter and illuminates those questions that we try to hide and shove into the darkness. Light brings out those curiosities that we sometimes uh, play with. And so the writer sprinkles a bit of this imagery throughout the message. Light shines and the darkness will not overcome it. The prophet comes as a light in the darkness, like guiding people with a torch through this cave of doubt to show and reveal at the end of the tunnel that God is still active and present in this wilderness of a life. Entering into the light does not make one holy or pure, but allows one the opportunity to bring those questions to light, allows one to examine oneself, and therefore, being in the light is risky, but it can also be rewarding. So this gospel account, according to John, is not concerned with historicity or accuracy, or, but a clear understanding, a clearer understanding of Jesus and Jesus' thoughts about the world. So in the Gospel of John, you may not know, but in John 1, there is no record of Jesus' birth. Jesus just appears as this fully formed, fully uh, mature male, and he gathers himself, uh, gathers people to himself, saying, come and see. Come and see is his tagline, much as if he was in this off-brand circus, like, come and see, come everyone to see this Messiah that turns water into wine. Come and see this word fleshing. Come and see this uh, vine growing into branches. Come and see, come and be so transfixed that you will be unable to remember how to tie your shoes. You'll be so perplexed, you'll want to crawl back into your mother's womb Come and see, he says. And so they did. They came to see him get baptized in a river. They came to see him turn it up at a wedding and turn water into wine. And then this guy comes to see him in the middle of the night. This is what happens just before the passage we read today. And in order to understand a complicated verse, I think it's important for us to read the verses that come before it to understand where we are situated in the gospel story. And so it's important to know that this religious leader of the day comes in the heat of the night, cloaked in the doubt and uncertainty of his thoughts and his perceptions of who Jesus is, clothed with the uncertainty of how he will be accepted by his fellow religious leaders who demand conformity. And so he comes, interested to learn from Jesus. He doesn't come with questions, though. He merely comes to attest to his witness and say, I see you. I see you, and I know you are the Messiah. I know you are the one for whom we have waited. I'm not ready to come out yet, but I see you. And Jesus, in his like pastoral-like way, spouts off a bunch of things. 
launches into this teaching that we read today about birth and snakes and life and death. Although this address from Jesus is a little hard to follow, it hides within it this nugget that Christians always pull out. Do you know which nugget I'm talking about? Maybe it's a verse you memorized in Sunday school. Maybe it's a verse you've never heard before, but you've seen plastered everywhere. We have an image of it on some places you might have seen it. Some people have heard John 3.16 and heard it by memory. Others have seen it face-painted across Tim Tebow. Others wonder why it can be found under bags from Forever 21 or cups from in and out um, but I really think Jesus was not deeply concerned with American sports or uh, how fashionable Patrick and I dress or cheap clothing or about being forever 21. But it's interesting to note that this, this verse has become like a cult-like following. It has this place in secular movements. This verse has also been used, though, by religious institutions. It's been used and abused as an emblem of Christianity to say, for God so loved the world. You, you are so loved, but you're going to perish. And I have a trick of everlasting life. Just say this one prayer and these three sentences, inviting Jesus into your heart and you will have the eternal elixir of everlasting life. So this verse has been manipulated and twisted and taken out of context. And so this morning we do this work of reclamation of this passage. It's all about sharing one's faith. Jesus begins the gospel with sharing of faith, sharing it with people who have known and people who have not known. And so sharing your faith is essential. But plastering a complicated verse across the bridge of your nose is probably a more simplistic and unimaginative reading of this passage than Jesus intends. The gospel message cannot be boiled down to platitudes. The gospel message cannot be something you hand out in a flyer, but has to be something that you internalize, let saturate in your life, that you meditate over and mull over. It requires unfolding of the message on a regular basis. Because throughout this whole passage, Jesus not only speaks of literal life and death, but he's also speaking of this daily act of life and death and resurrection for which we must practice. He speaks not about just a one-time act of wickedness or an indiscretion or a wickedness lived out throughout your life. No, he's also talking about and identifying wickedness and insidious and threatening evil institutions. An insidious evil that is baked into the insecurities of our being. An insidious with which we must have the courage to bring into the light. So Jesus is saying, take a breath. You can't do it all yourself. The world ultimately needs a savior for restoration. And I have to like give a pass to Tim Tebow, although he's like one of my least favorite people ever. Don't tell him, but... Ultimately, this passage gets quoted and written across people's noses and referenced often in sermons because it talks about everyday things, things that we often question, earthly stuff for which we crave understanding, like, am I loved by God? 
And the answer is yes. Am I really? Am I really loved by God? And the answer is hell yes. Does God care about my life? Does my life have a purpose? And the answer is yes. Does God care about my death? And is there something after that? And the answer is yes. But just saying and quoting this passage and referencing, well, God loves you. It's not enough. I don't know about for you. Maybe it is, but for me, it's not enough. The truth of the gospel message is that the gospel message is not so simple, but it requires us to challenge ourselves. It requires us to examine the messages that we have internalized over years of living life on this earth and respond to those messages with newness of life. The truth is, the gospel, this good news of life-giving truth, The truth is, not not the truth that is the good news, the life-giving truth, but the truth that is actually like death and life-robbing. The truth is that we live in a world that readily speaks death, that readily speaks hatred to others. That's the truth. Have you seen it? Did you know it? Yesterday, I got on the internets and was informed that there were marches happening all over the country. And I participated in lots of marches and been really proud about them, but this was not a march I wanted to participate in. Marches against Sharia law is what they were called. Marches against Sharia happening all over the country, including in places like San Bernardino, where people have died. We have to know that Sharia law is, for the Muslim community, the law by which they ground themselves, the law by which they try to live. It is much like, if we were to create an analogy, like the Old Testament is for Jews, or like the teachings of Jesus is for us Christians. Sharia law is the law that guides the lives of the Muslim people. And so these marches against Sharia, which are simply marches uh, in support of Islamophobia, are the things that breed and breathe death and hatred in our lives. But also, when I see somebody posting something really stupid on Facebook and I make a shady-ass comment about them to my spouse, one, I'm really funny and that's great, but two, those comments are also the seeds that breed death and hatred in our lives. Because the truth is, death and hate are strong. They are strong breeders. They remain strong because hate and fear and death reproduce and multiply and give birth to more hate and fear and death. The alt-right and neo-Nazi groups create and sustain power as movements because of hateful rhetoric that they just continue and continue and perpetuate, and they ignite in other people fearful imaginations. Mundane conflicts between couples continue and go on for days because people refuse to approach each other with compromise or forgiveness or dialogue. And hateful Harmful and triggering words against queer folks get thrown around in traffic and sprinkled in conversations, causing hate and death to rise up even stronger than it was before. 
I have a picture of our lead pastor of Urban Village Church. He preaches and teaches at the South Loop site. His name is Christian Kuhn. Can you tell which one he is in that photo? Uh, this is Pastor Christian marching in the Gay Pride Parade a few years back, and he comes out marching in the Pride Parade in all his regalia because he wants people to know that he is identified with a Christian movement, but the Christian movement has not always been kind to its queer folks. But he comes out, and as I'm walking behind him, this happened last year, and it was so profound for me because I get caught up in the spirit of the movement. Have you marched in the Gay Pride Parade with Urban Village Church? It is one of the most powerful moments of my life. Every year, marching and waving and reminding people that there is a church in this city that says queer people are awesome. And I wave and I shout, happy pride. It is a happy day to be prideful about who you are. And I get caught up in the spirit of being surrounded by people in love and joy, and I hear Christian Kuhn in all his regalia yelling to people until he's hoarse. God loves you. He walks up to people and shakes their hand and hugs them and says, God loves you. For so many centuries, people have been taught that they were hated by the church or that God could never love them because of who they are. And Christian has this ability to communicate the gospel message in something so simple and yet so profound, but is so necessary in a world that teaches hate and bigotry. And he proclaims it, and I forgot and just said happy pride, but this year I'm going to say something different, that God loves you. It is up to Christians. It is up to the followers of Jesus to create this similar movement, those movements of the alt-right and the neo-Nazis who repeat and spout out hatred and rhetoric of hate and death. It is essential for loving Christians to, to alter, like do something different than that. I can't think of the word. To do the alternative, offer the alternative, which is offer rhetoric of love. It begins with ourselves, loving ourselves, and moves outward toward the community because it is essential for people to rem be reminded that they are loved, that they have pride in who they are. Because love and pride is needed for queer people, but love and pride is essential and needed for transgendered people. Love and pride is needed for black people and Latinx people and brown people and indigenous people, Muslim people, working class people, people who identify as women, because love is an act of rebellion. And today's passage, today's passage reminds us of that, because I don't know if you caught it, it started with a really awkward reference. <laughs> Did you hear it when it said, Moses lifted up the servant, so I too will be lifted up, Jesus says. Oh, God, Jesus, he says the weirdest stuff at the weirdest times, too. And this quote is coming from a really problematic story in Numbers 21. Go and read it later and then come back to me with more questions because it's kind of terrible. But the Israelites are complaining about the slowness of God's action. They are tired, and they are hangry, and for generations they have been wandering in this desert. And on this day they wish for the days of enslavement in Egypt rather than wandering in freedom. 
So after comparing their present realities of hunger as worse than the days of daily torture and death of slavery, venomous serpents slide into their encampment. These venomous serpents bite the people of God, and many of them die. And God tells Moses to fashion a bronze serpent. Take a serpent fashioned out of bronze and lift it up like a pole. All those who have been bitten by venomous serpents may look on this bronzed viper and they may live, but they must look upon that which brings death in order to overcome it. And so Jesus compares himself to this bronzed viper, to this object of death being lifted up because Jesus knows that he himself will be lifted up on a cross and come to serve as a death to end eternal death. So the gospel message, much like the snake-like story to which Jesus compares himself, is not simple. It is not simple, but it is essential to understand that death, life, and resurrection are to be sought after, are to be shared widely, and to be replicated in our lives because death is not the end, but there is life and resurrection. Jesus is lifted up, which in Greek, let's get a little nerdy for a second, which in Greek also means exalted. Jesus is lifted up and the world is changed. God does something different. Just as light enters the world and darkness cannot overcome it, God births a salvation plan into the world because God so loved God's creation. And these verses come a little bit like or become a little bit like uh, Viola Davis whispering in our ear. Do you remember this movie? Viola Davis says to the young girl, you is smart, you, uh, I'll get it right, you is kind, you is smart, and you is important, and then we add as Christians, and you is loved by God. You is kind, and you is smart, and you is important, and you is loved by God. We don't always understand how God's love works, or why God chooses to love us, or why God chooses to love a world filled with such hate and fear and death. But much like a teacher coming to Jesus in the middle of the night, we sometimes leave still a little perplexed and amazed by our encounter with Jesus. We don't always internalize this message of love, But when we reflect on these passages, when we kind of rub them into our body like lotion or like a balm that covers a wound, they then offer healing in times of pain. Whether we trust that these words are true today, we lean on them in the hope that one day we will be reminded that they are true. We rely then, too, on each other to speak those truths of love into our lives when we cannot hear those words ourselves. And so this is our call to the world. As Christians, we are not to inhale messages of hate and then exhale that toxicity onto others. No, as Christians, much like God breathed over the chaos of the deep and created something new, we are to breathe in God's deep love and breathe out words of hope for everlasting life. And it's important that we do this together. 
This uh, season of our lives, we are going out into Midsummer Fest. Did you know that Urban Village Church has a tent and you can make really cool buttons from comic books and you should go by and tell your friends to go by? But throughout the city of Chicago, we were at Wicker Park Fest and Hyde Park Brew Fest and uh, Printer's Row Lit Fest, all these festivals across the city sharing this message because we know that message of hate and death and fear are so loud that we have to share them with others. But we also have to come back here on Sunday mornings or gather in people's homes on Wednesday night to read ta Coates' book because it's important to remind ourselves, too, that we are so loved and beloved by God because those messages of hate then infiltrate our lives and we have to push them out. We have to be surrounded by a community that will help us to push those things out. It is important that we gather together and that we invite others to gather to this party because the gospel message is rebellious. And it is a rebellious movement, and we need an army in this rebellious movement. Saying that you are loved when everything else screams hate is an act of rebellion. Regularly reminding other people that they are loved and beloved by God is an act of rebellion. So we have to do this together. That's why we show up here on Sunday mornings, why we go out to Midsummer Fest. We are reminding ourselves that the language of death has been conquered. That when God gets everything God wants, when God licks up the last libations of death, we will dance all night and into eternity. And we gather here to remind ourselves that the language of death and hatred that proliferate our media, that proliferate our news feeds and our lives, while that message is really powerful and compelling, it is not the reality of this situation. We are, despite however small we may feel sometimes, loved and celebrated by God. And so worship for us is like a restart button, like a recharge and a reorienting of our lives. All that stuff that I internalized earlier is gone. It is not true, but I know who I am in God's eyes. I'm a beloved child of God because this community helps me be so. And we gather together in worship, in small groups, to remind ourselves that others need what we have found. That God's message of abundant love, that there's enough love to go around, that you don't have to do anything to earn it, that it's not a prize to be won, but that this love is a gift to be shared. It is a message to be yelled. It is a drumbeat with which we march, is for everyone, is for y'all, is for all. And so we worship here in small groups, in homes around the city, and it reminds us that God is not finished. That God continues to hold the doors open and say, no, 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 there's still room. Come on in here. And so we, too, beckon others inside to come and see this good news we have found. And let's be honest, it's messy. And it's quite frankly very weird. It's a weird place where water turns into wine. Life comes out of death. And where you are a beloved child of God. Let's pray. God of love 
And God of mercy, you welcome us into you, into your presence. And you look at us and just smile. You celebrate in your creation, which is us. Despite all the messages that we internalize throughout the day, throughout um, our week, we know that we are celebrated and loved and beloved by you. And so we take this time to lift our voices to you as a reminder that when we sing together, we are reminding ourselves and each other that we are created in your image and that despite what the world says about us, we are beautiful. As individuals and collectively as a community. And so we pray in the name of our brother and friend Jesus. Amen. <laughs>